Welcome back to Second and Short. It is January 20th, 2023, and we're about to get into the divisional rounds of the NFL playoffs, and boy, do we have some great matchups. But before we talk about the divisional round, let's talk about today's sponsor, Brooks Running. The new year means a new you, and there's one brand that has all your running essentials, and that's Brooks. From the cushioned ride of the Glycerin 20 to the speedy sensation of the Hyperion Max, Brooks has everything you need to accomplish your New Year's resolutions in style. Visit brooksrunning.com or your local sporting goods store and get suited up for the new year. Brooks, run happy. And Luke, I I know you've been looking at Brooks' website a little bit. What are some things you've got your eye on to be picking up to suit you up for this new year? I, I'm looking at some of the apparel. I, I don't know the names off the top of my head, but uh, their shoes are great. So I imagine there's apparel. Their apparel would be great as well. But um, I actually uh, wore my um, Ghost 14s to class a couple days ago, and my feet were very happy. They even told me thank you. So all the viewers out there, y'all know what to do. Put your feet in some brooks. They'll never be happier. All right. Well, today we're going to be getting into NFL Divisional Round Preview, of course. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite um, Super Bowl matchups that might happen this year. And then we're going to be talking our top eight quarterbacks remaining in the playoffs. Then we'll get into a little bit of MLB. I'll be talking my five favorite players to watch going into this season. And then, of course, Premier League Weekend Preview. And then a little bit of Stake Your Claim to close it out. Let's go ahead and get it started. NFL Divisional Round. Saturday, 4.30, Jags at Chiefs. Chiefs are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. And before I let you get going, Luke, I just got to let you know one thing. Trevor Lawrence has never lost on a Saturday. (laughs) You're right. He still has never lost on a Saturday. So what are you thinking with this matchup? I I think it's very easy to just say, yeah, the Chiefs are going to win, but we saw the Jags do some great things last week. Yeah, the, the Jags are dangerous. Um, obviously, their offense, you know, it, it took them a while to get going last week, which they're they're not going to be able to play like that against the Chiefs because the Chiefs will run up the score on them, <laughs> kind of like the Chargers did. But the Chiefs, I feel like it would just be a whole lot worse. Um, this Jags offense, though, is dangerous when they are, you know, uh, you know, actually moving, you know, getting the ball out, moving, scoring touchdowns, getting the run game going. And I wanted to point out last week, once they – actually got going against the Chargers. They did a really got really good job of spreading the ball around. Um, Evan Ingram finished the game seven receptions, 93 yards, and a touchdown. Christian Kirk had eight receptions, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Zay Jones had eight receptions, 74 yards, and a touchdown. And Marvin Jones also had a touchdown that game, but not really a lot of receptions or yards. So their pass game is great when they can get it going and Trevor isn't throwing picks. Yeah, and look, Trevor looked amazing in the second half of last week, and hopefully he can – you know, bring that into this week, but there's a big thing in their way of continuing this magical run, and that's the best quarterback in the league for the last few years, as well as one of the best offenses in the league with a solid defense on the other side of the ball. So if if Trevor has another rough start, there will be no comeback. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid do not step off the gas. So Doug Peterson is going to have to have these guys going out of the gates or there's going to be no catching up. Yeah, and I think the Jags, what they need to do is they need to get a good run game going, keep that Chiefs offense off the field. I mean, Etienne's a great back, but there are a lot of games where the Jags are kind of down early and he doesn't really get much of an opportunity. He ended up having a pretty good stat line last week, but that was, you know, after they made this miraculous comeback. They need to get the run game going earlier. 
Yeah, and I think that that is something that the Jags have over the Chiefs is the run game. With Etienne, if he can get it going, he's he's going to produce a much better run game than what Pacheco can do for the Chiefs. And I think that, you know, in the off chance that the Jags take this one away, it will be Etienne that makes the difference. But, look, Patrick Mahomes is undeniable. He's never played less than two games in a playoff appearance, and I got a feeling that's not going to end. Yeah, he, he's like – there's some crazy stat I saw, like, where he's literally been to the AFC Championship game, like, basically every year he started. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and, and, like, on top of always making it and continuing to win, he's playing very well. He averages 307 per game, over two-and-a-half touchdowns per game in the playoffs – and then just to continue gushing over the amazing quarterback that is Patrick Mahomes, he led the league in passing yards this year with 5,250, which is 500 more than second place, which was Justin Herbert. And he led in passing touchdowns by six with 41 passing touchdowns. And look, we, we kind of just overlook this because it's like, oh, he didn't throw for 6,000 yards and 50 touchdowns because that's just what we want to see out of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. But – he was the best in the league this year. And look, maybe you say that it's going to be tough when they've come off of two weeks of rest while the Jags are coming off of a huge comeback win with a lot of momentum. But I think that the Chiefs are going to take it in this one. I, I do too. And, and another thing to your point I wanted to bring up is a, a lot of people I don't think are mentioning this enough, but he also lost Tyree Kill this year. And that's, that's what his season can still look like. Of course, he has Kelsey who – puts up ridiculous numbers for a tight end, but like he lost uh, Tyree kill, which is amazing to me that he was able to, you know, still play this play as well as he did this season. But thing with Patrick Mahomes is he's earned the kind of respect where we don't talk about it because he's that good. It's incredible what he can do. I think score prediction wise, I'm going to go chiefs 30 Jags 17. Whoa. We were extremely close. I've got chiefs 31 Jags 17. Uh, so I have them missing an extra point, basically. Well, no, I I just have them scoring four touchdowns and a field goal. Okay, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so oh, you, like you heard it here first. It's going to be somewhere around 30s to 17 Chiefs. But let's talk Giants-Eagles, Eagle, not Ingles. <laughs> that's a, a small grocery store chain. Um, <laughs> the Giants go into the link second time of the year. Eagles are minus seven and a half. This is Saturday night football. And look, the Eagles, sorry, the Giants. Oh my God, I'm slipping off my words right now. The Giants looked great last week, but the Eagles got time to let their guys rest. And out of any team in the playoffs, they needed it the most. So we could see the Eagles just come out firing. Yeah, and I I think that's what they need to do. Look, this Giants team, tons of momentum. And, And I've said it. Coach Dabble, I, I saw Ryan Clark said it earlier this week too, is he actually, you know, was making a case for uh, Brian to be head coach of the year. And, and I think he honestly deserves it. I mean, that Giants, the, the mentality that they have is an extreme underdog, but killer mentality. And I like that. In the playoffs, it's going to be dangerous. And especially when you throw in a, uh, you know, an NFC East rivalry matchup, it can be even more dangerous. The Eagles have beat the Giants both te- both times they played this year. But I don't know. This one could be a trap game for Philly. 
Yeah. Look, Daniel Jones is coming off of one of his most impressive games of his career. Seriously. And he's doing it without having an elite receiving core or an elite defense to back him up. Like, they they truly do look like a playoff team. They beat a playoff team in the Vikings. Like, this is a real roster with guys that come in and they play football. And that's something that Brian Dable does a great job of is he doesn't just coach a bunch of football players. He coaches a team. I think that's something that we miss with a lot of teams in the NFL is, yeah, you can put as many guys out there on the field, but if they're not a team, they're not going to win. I, I think that that was the Chargers problem. I think that, you know, Brandon Staley coaches a bunch of football players, but Brian Dable coaches a football team. Yeah, and Daniel Jones, man, he <laughs> he's starting to make a lot of people look like uh, look like idiots, Grayson, because even I, I remember watching Daniel Jones get drafted at a Mexican restaurant, and I was like, who the heck did they just pick out of Duke? <laughs> the Giants have done it again. They've messed up. This guy's making me eat my words, and I know good and darn well he's making a lot of people out there eat their own words. And this playoff performance, I think, really kind of like this was a big deal for Daniel Jones. He After this win over the Vikings, he is their franchise quarterback, and I love watching him play. He, um, he led them in rushing last week. He carried the ball 17 times and got 78 yards. He... He's ridiculous for the Giants this year. Yeah. The the problem that I see for the Giants is that their defense may end up being the problem this week. It's mainly because the Giants' defense gave up the second most yards per carry this season, while the Eagles had the fifth most rushing yards this season and the third most attempts. So if the Eagles run the ball and the Giants can't stop them, it's going to be over real quick. Yeah, and, and the thing with the Giants offense is even though, you know, we can both rave about it when, it, when it's good, it looks good. But I still doubt it to make a comeback in a game. And that's kind of been this, uh, the case with both of the Eagles games is once the Giants are down, they're not really making any comeback. It, it usually, you know, they get started hot and they stay hot. They, they never can really make a comeback. So they, they need to score quick if they're going to beat Philly. Yeah, and now it's a Philly team that – has Jalen Hurts back who got some rest. They've got Lane Johnson for the playoffs. They've got Josh Sweat back for the playoffs. And I just think they're going to be firing on all cylinders. But score prediction-wise, I think the Eagles are going to win it in a close one. I think it's going to be 28-24. Okay. I'm going to go Eagles hmm, 21-14. All right. Well, let's talk probably the best matchup of the weekend, oh, 3 p.m. on Sunday, Bengals at Bills. Bills are five-and-a-half-point favorites, and I think that's mainly just because they're at home. But this is the quarterback matchup that we'll be talking about for a long time. It's Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen. And both of these teams are coming off of some not-so-great games, but one thing about these teams and their quarterbacks is they're good at rebounding. You don't often see either of these guys have two bad weeks in a row. Yeah, and what what this matchup is going to be, I, I think this one is poised to be probably one of the most entertaining playoff games that we're going to um, uh, playoff games that we're going to see this uh, this year. I think it's going to be a total shootout. Um, and and here's why: last week, Devin Singletary carried the ball. 10 times. He had 48 yards and no touchdowns. That's versus Miami. Joe Mixon carried the ball 11 times. 
39 yards, and that was against Baltimore. Those were um, those were the, both the top rushers in their games. And I, I think that's kind of going to be the story um, in, in this game, the Bengals and Bills game, is there probably will be like 700 yards passing. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I think they're going to throw the ball a lot. But when it comes down to both of these teams from you know a bird's eye view, I trust the completeness of this Bengals team a little bit more than the Bills. I, I And you just said it, the, the Bengals running game hasn't been great, but there is one there. And they have a solid defense. They played very well last week compared to the Bills giving up 31 points to the Dolphins. And I I just, look, I have complete trust in Josh Allen as a quarterback, but he tends to start forcing things when they get into a bad position, and it only gets worse. We saw it last week. He starts throwing the ball downfield, but he doesn't have enough time from his offensive line to let a guy get open. So he throws into a low percentage spot. He starts throwing bullets into spots that, yes, he knows he can hit those windows, but those windows close quickly, and it just causes more and more problems. So I, I like the Bengals. I gosh, I hate how much you talk about the Bengals on this podcast, but I'm going to agree with you. I, I like the Bengals in this one too. They're a way more complete team with a much better defense in my opinion. And, you know, you, you said it very well. Josh Allen is amazing as he has been this season. No one has really talked about the amount of um, mistakes that he's made. He's kept a lot of games close, I think. Uh, He's turned the ball over a lot. Um, He's almost up there with that, I want to say, in turnovers this year. But, yeah, this game will be a total shootout, but I think the Bengals will come away with it 38-31. Okay, yeah, I've got Bengals 31, Bills 27. I like it. But, see, like, there's one more thing that we have to talk about in this, and – it's that you can't discount the Bills Mafia. They're at Highmark Stadium in Buffalo. It's going to be a tough atmosphere, but I just I think that the Bengals can work with that. And I think there's more than just a playoff game here. And we're going to talk about this with the Bills as long as they stay in this, but they're playing for DeMar Hamlin. And you know, knowing that this is the matchup that it happened in, it changes a lot with this with this game in general. And I just I think that the Bills have a lot to play for, but I just think that that might end up, you know, it wears off. You know, emotion wears off when you get into a football game. You can have as much emotion as you want for the first, you know, drive, but the second that things aren't going your way, the your your head takes over and that's where you start making mistakes, and I think that that's what's going to happen to the Bills this week. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, but but like you said, what what an important game for just like the NFL as like a community. You know, this this will be such a good matchup, and I hope it lives up to the to the hype. I really do. I would hate to see one of the teams just blow the other one out. Yeah, well, let's talk about a game that I personally think might end up as a blowout. Cowboys at 49ers. 49ers are four-point favorites, 6.30 on Sunday. And look, I don't care that Dak had a great game last week because the Niners' defense is too good for the Cowboys. Ah, I disagree with you here, man. <laughs> and here's the thing, though. The Cowboys have been good for, I would say, probably like a good six years. But 
the thing with the Cowboys, and it's interesting because no other team has this about them. Although the Cowboys have been good for the Cowboys, and this would be the perfect game to, I will, I'll say, Cowboy the game up for the Cowboys. I could totally see it being a blowout, but this Cowboys offense, when it's working well, and we saw it against Tampa, it can match up with this 49ers defense. I really, I really think so. I mean, especially since Seattle put up 23 on them, and that was even with two turnovers. I think the Cowboys could surprise a lot of people in this game. I think they could, but if we see the Dak that we've seen all season as opposed to the Dak we saw last week, we know what happens. When he starts giving the ball away, it, it, it becomes trouble, and it's something he struggled with all season, and he just happens to be facing the best defense in the league. Because, look, you can't run the ball because you got to deal with Fred Warner up the middle, and you got to deal with Nick Bosa to the right. But then... You can't throw the ball because you got to deal with Chavarius Ward and Jimmy Ward and Talanoa Hufanga and Fred Warner over the middle. So there's really no getting out of this 49ers defense. And and I just think that if we see even close to as good of a Brock Purdy as we saw last week, the 49ers are just going to go right through this one. That, that's what I think the matchup or the matchup is going to be is how the um, 49ers offense plays against the Dallas defense. Because, look, I, I think, you know, with Dallas having a good offense and the 49ers obviously having probably the best defense in the NFL, I, I think it'll match up better than what people are talking about. But if Dak starts turning the ball over and if the 49ers have a offensive game like they did in the wild card, let me throw some stats at you here. Brock Purdy uh, completed 18 of 30 passes. He was over 300 yards and through three touchdowns, no picks, which is incredible. Debo Samuel obviously had that crazy, I think it was like a 72-yard touchdown. He is so fast. He had six receptions, 133 yards, and a touchdown. And Christian McCaffrey, he was averaging like eight yards a carry. I think he finished the game with like 15 carries and 119 yards or something like that. It can get really ugly if Dak starts turning the ball over. Yeah. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen. So my score prediction, 49ers 27, Cowboys 12. You said what? Say that again? I said 49ers 27, Cowboys 12. And let me explain that 12 real quick because they're going to score a touchdown, but our good friend Brett Maher is going to miss another extra point. (laughs) I love how you throw this this stuff in here. (laughs) Um Here's the thing. The Cowboys, I I liked this 49ers defense. Obviously, they have weapons everywhere. But the Cowboys ran the ball pretty dang well um, against the – oh, my gosh, who did they play last week? The Buccaneers. Buccaneers, that's right. They ran the ball pretty well against the Buccaneers. They ran the ball 35 times, uh, which is, you know, really good if you want to keep an offense off the ball. Um, And Dak spread the ball pretty well. He completed passes to eight different Cowboys and – it's just so nice to see T.Y. Hilton, like, effective on a team. I know he's not getting the stats like he used to because he is pretty washed, but he actually looks pretty good with the Cowboys. So I'm actually going to pull – I'm, I'm going to go with the upset here, Grayson. I'm going to go Cowboys 21, 49 or 17. Interesting. So you think that the Cowboys proved enough by beating up on a geriatric 45-year-old man? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll take us into talking about a couple of our, you know, the possible Super Bowl matchups that we really like 
and we want to see. So, Luke, let me hear your first one. So, I, I actually only went with one, and then I wanted to talk about that one kind of a lot. I'm going to go with a Cowboys versus Bills game. Ew. I would love to see that Super Bowl. Ew. Love to see that Super Bowl. Why are you saying ew? No. Why do you not like the Cowboys? Why does anybody want to see Dak Prescott throw five picks in a Super Bowl? Bro, that would be entertaining. Five picks in a Super Bowl? I I don't know. I, I just, look, Josh Allen would be amazing to watch in a Super Bowl. I just, I can't get behind this Cowboys team. It's just, for me, I think it, it's the, like, celebrity aura that surrounds the Cowboys. And in 1993 and 1994, those were the... um. I think Super Bowl 27 and 28. Uh, that was actually two back-to-back Cowboys versus Bills Super Bowls. The Cowboys won both of them. Uh, one was 52 to 17. That was Super Bowl 27. And actually, funny about Super Bowl 27, listen, listen to this. Garth Brooks did the national anthem. The coin toss was O.J. Simpson. And Michael Jackson was the halftime show. That was 1993. <laughs> what? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is a ridiculous scenario. <laughs> I was so excited to tell you that on the podcast. But anyway, if they were to meet up again, it would be the third time that they played in a Super Bowl, and the Bills could, you know, have a chance to avenge Joe Kelly. I think it would be a huge matchup if it was the Cowboys versus the Bills. I think it would be an entertaining game. I don't think it would be an entertaining Super Bowl. Okay, explain. I think that if those like watching those two teams play in the regular season would make it, you know, like that would be Sunday night football. Yeah. I just I don't think that's a Super Bowl type matchup. I don't think that I wanna watch Josh Allen force the ball into positions he shouldn't, and I don't want to watch Dak Prescott throw picks. I want to watch the best of the best face off. Okay. Well, let's hear your matchups then. I want to see Chiefs versus 49ers. Yeah. Look, that's the that's the ultimate fight between does defense or offense win you championships? Yeah. I think that the 49ers offense and the in the Chiefs defense are pretty similar at their, you know, level where they're not the best, but it works because they're good on the other side of the ball, and then the Chiefs have the best offense and the 49ers have the best defense. I think that that is the kind of matchup we want to see. I I think that matchup could end up like um, the Buccaneers Chiefs Super Bowl. I really do. I, I think San Francisco's defense would expose Patrick Mahomes. And I, I think it's egregious that you just put San Francisco's offense on par with uh, the Chiefs defense. San Francisco's offense has been rolling. I think they would kill the Chiefs in a Super well, Bowl. How many teams were able to play well against the Chiefs defense? That is true. I, they're they're an okay defense, but that the 49ers offense is just so efficient. So many weapons on it. I, I think with their defense and you know their offense paired with the Chiefs, I, I think it could end up a blowout. It would be entertaining though. It, it could be a good game. Yeah, I think that's what like like people want storylines. And I think that, you know, Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs team that lost their number one wide receiver and they've lost a couple defensive guys and nobody really thought they were going to be as good as they were this season going into it. 
So I think that kind of creates a storyline. And then for the 49ers, having the best defense in the league all season, you have the defensive player of the year on your defensive line. You've got Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy starting in a Super Bowl. Like that is the type of thing we want to see in a Super Bowl. I like it. I like it. But hey, I think the Dallas and Buffalo, you know, that that would be a story too. Like I said, they've already played each other um, twice. It would actually be, it would tie an NFL record for the most times uh, two teams have ever met in the Super Bowl. Uh, originally it's, um, or well, it is now Dallas and Pittsburgh. They played each other in three Super Bowls. This would obviously tie that. Plus you have probably the most famous team, one of the most famous teams in the entire world. Dallas, it would be box office if Dallas is in a Super Bowl every single time. Um, and you have DeMar Hamlin. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's stories in both of our, in both of our Super Bowls here. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to give you my other, my oh, other yeah. one, because okay, yeah. this one, like it's, it's 100% not going to happen, but it would have been like a great matchup in the regular season. I think Jacksonville versus New York would be an awesome game to watch. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> like both of these teams are rolling right now. They looked really good last week. What's like, how could I be watching Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Jones face off for the first time since college? Yeah. Did they even play each other? Oh, yeah, they would have been both in the ACC, right? Yeah. Wow. I don't know if they actually played each other in college, but there's an opportunity that it happens. Yeah. No, there's definitely an opportunity. That would be a good game. I mean, those teams are both the lowest seeds. You know, um, Jacksonville's fourth in the AFC, and New York is sixth in the NFC. Like, yeah, I the mentality of the New York Giants just would be – it would be so cool to see them in a Super Bowl. It would be so cool to see um, Dable in a Super Bowl – and it'd be cool to see Trevor Lawrence in a Super Bowl. And Doug Peterson, their head coach, has already won one with Philly. So yeah. it, it would Dude, be an awesome matchup. It would. I, I don't I don't think it's a Super Bowl type matchup. Like I said, I think it'd be a great like middle of the season Sunday night football matchup. Yeah. But nonetheless, it would have been a great matchup. I think, you know, watching two young quarterbacks that have really come into their own this season with Two solid running backs, obviously Saquon's significantly better and more established. And then two teams that, you know, don't have the best defenses, but they're decent. It'd be a high-scoring game. There'd be just, like, a lot going on. There's a lot of similarities in their teams, but there's a ton of polarity where, like, Jacksonville turns the ball over a lot. New York doesn't. But then, like, they both... They have a great mixture of running the ball and passing the ball and setting themselves mm-hmm. up in good positions. Uh, it would have been a, a great game to watch. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a that would be a fun game, <laughs> and I think I I think that Super Bowl would get pretty chippy. I, I feel like with Jacksonville and New York, there's a lot of there's a lot of heart on the field, you know, when those two teams play. So there could be a lot of fights in that Super Bowl if it were to happen. All right. Any other matchups that you like? Obviously, I would love to just see Cincinnati versus San Fran and then Cincinnati win so that I would have been right from my take a couple months ago. But, you know, I feel like it's it's mean that we didn't mention Philly because they have one of the most fun teams to watch. They get, they get sacks. They get, you know, Jalen Hurts just runs for like 100 yards a game. They've got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They've got Miles Sanders. Like, they're a fun team to watch. I just think that there's other teams that or, or at least other matchups that seem more entertaining to me. Yeah, no, that that's why I didn't pick Philly in any of mine is I, I would just have personally rather see other teams than Philly in the Super Bowl. 
All right. Anything else you want to do uh, talking about these Super Bowl matchups? Um, no, we can move on. All righty. Well, let's talk our top eight quarterbacks remaining in the playoffs. Ooh. And look, the reason I, I, we're talking about this is because I saw Nick Wright that Oh, I hate him. I hate how he looks. I just want to punch him in the face. But I don't like him either. I, I actually wondered if I was <laughs> the only one coming into this podcast. I don't like that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like Nick Wright. He's certified take artist. We do not like take artists here. Get Bayless Jr. Yeah, but I'll, I'll go ahead and give you Nick's list so you can understand why I, I don't like it. So I'll start from the top. Number one, Mahomes. That's fine. Totally fine with that. Burrow, two. Trevor Lawrence at three, interesting. Uh, Jalen Hurts at four. Josh Allen at five, interesting. Uh, Dak Prescott at six. Brock Purdy at seven. And Daniel Jones at eight. So by the time he got probably uh, through eight and seven on that list, when I watched that clip, I was already losing my mind and had already sent it to Luke. So let's start from the bottom. Actually, no, let's start from the top because I think the bottom is where it gets really dicey. Yeah. So let's start from the top. Who's your number one? Uh, I agreed with Nick here, Mahomes. Okay, me too. I, I still think it's Pat Mahomes. You can't deny how good he yeah. was this season. And, you know, give him a week to rest. He's still going to come out and play yeah. phenomenal. It's just great journalism by Nick Wright. I mean, who would have thought that Patrick Mahomes, you know, wouldn't have been first? This is the only part he got right, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think me and him lined up on anything else. So yeah. let's talk number two. I've got Josh Allen. I have got Jalen Hurts. Okay, so I think that it is absolutely criminal that he put Josh Allen at five. But we can talk about that when we get to our number fives. But look, <laughs> Josh Allen, whether he throws picks or not, is one of, if not, you know, a top two, top three quarterback in the league. And he, he continues to back it up every week. Despite a tough appearance last week, he still threw for 350 yards. Yeah, I I think with Nick Wright's uh, opinion here is he's dwelling a lot on the Josh Allen turnovers that we've already talked about. I, he, Josh Allen has turned the ball over a lot, but he is the reason that games are still kept close with his mistakes is because he, oh, his good always outweighs the bad, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and if if he wanted to harp on turnovers, Trevor Lawrence should be number eight. Yeah. So let let me hear about Jalen Hurts at two. I just think over Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, and and this is also me taking into account Josh Allen's turnovers, and this is also me taking into account Joe Burrow kind of not having the best start of the season and the second half of the season was really good though, with a couple kind of like shaky games. Like he was kind of shaky against Baltimore. I thought, um, I think Jalen hurts his run game and just his deep ball ability to his two receivers, Devonta Smith and AJ Brown. I think it puts him at two. He he is a super well-rounded quarterback. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that what helps out hurts is getting a little bit of time off, but we haven't seen him at 100% for, what, five weeks now? He missed two weeks. He came in. He wasn't 100% in week 18, but he still played. He got the week off last week, and now we're going to see him play. And look, what he did 
earlier in the season was phenomenal. It's nothing short of greatness what he did throughout the regular season when it comes down to passing the ball. You know, every the the whole story when he started uh, getting starting starting playing time for the Eagles was that he was a running back and blah blah blah. Well, guess what? He still threw for what like three thousand plus passing yards. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and yeah. he rushed the ball amongst the best running backs in the league. <laughs> and I, I just think that, yeah, Jalen Hurts is a phenomenal quarterback, and that'll just segue us into number three. I've got Jalen Hurts at number three. I have got Joe Burrow at number three. All right. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I just like you Burrow. go ahead with Joe. Yeah, once again, over Josh Allen, and it, it's the same thing. The turnovers on Josh Allen's part have been very critical, and it's a lot of the reasons why they didn't blow out Miami in the wild card or many other teams this season. Of course, like I said, Josh Allen's super talented. He's, you know, he's the reason that the games have been close, but he's also the reason that the games have been kept close and usually end up in the Bills' favor, if that makes sense. I know that kind of sounds confusing, but makes sense in my head. No, um, I get what you're saying. Yeah, he yeah. he's the one that – you know, keeps them in the games, but he's also the reason that he they have to stay in it. Exactly. And but the reason that Burrow gets, you know, he the reason Burrow's at three and Josh Allen isn't, Joe Burrow spreads the ball better than like almost any quarterback in the league, in my opinion. He just everybody is involved in that offense and I love watching it. Sucks that it's the Bengals, but it's entertaining to watch. I'll give him that. I mean and I'll also argue this point. I don't think Jamar Chase is a superstar wide receiver yet. And, and I think that kind of, you know, adds to my Joe Burrow at three is I, I don't think he really has like a superstar wide receiver yet. He just spreads the ball around so much. That may have been kind of a hot take there with Jamar Chase, but I, I seriously, I don't think he's reached his full potential yet. But um, yeah, what was your number three again? Who did my you number say? three was Jalen Hurts. So Actually, yeah, we've, we've already kind of given our piece on Jalen Hurts. But yeah, like you said, He's got he's got weapons, and he's a weapon himself. It's not just throwing the ball; it's running the ball. You have to keep your entire defense's eyes should be on Jalen Hurts at all times, and yeah. that's not something we see with a lot of quarterbacks. Sometimes, you know, you need to watch out for the running back, or you need to watch out for these wide receivers. But if you don't have your eyes on Jalen Hurts, he's going to be in the end zone. Yeah, every time. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think it's it's hard to say that Jalen Hurts isn't one of the best quarterbacks in these playoffs right now. Let's talk number four. I've got Joe Burrow at number four. So, just right behind where you had him. I'm surprised that Burrow ended up so low on your list, in my opinion. I, don't, I thought you liked Joe. I do. I, I like Joe, and that's why he's not in the bottom four. But I, I just think that when it comes to – being prone to making mistakes, I think that Joe Burrow, and I don't think it's his fault either. I think it's still the offensive line problem. But when you get sacked and you get you know hurried into some throws, when you're not playing the Ravens, you might have a little bit more of a problem. And I think that, yeah, the Bills' defense isn't amazing, but I think this week we're going to see uh, a little bit tougher job for Joe Burrow in the pocket. He's going to have to make some quick throws. He can't wait until Jamar Chase gets open downfield. And I think that he does a great job in those circumstances. But 
he still is prone to making errors, and, and that's just what we get. He's a third-year quarterback, and he's already been to a Super Bowl, but there's still things to learn and things to improve on in Joe Burrow's game. Yeah, um, I, I like that that point that you just made, but I to give him more credit that I actually didn't bring up earlier, um, he, like, this entire season pretty much hasn't had a run game. I mean, you can argue, and I, I think you've said this point before, Grayson, where like the Bills don't really need to run the ball because of how much Joe Burrow can spread the ball around in the pass game. But still, Joe Mixon has been, like, in my opinion, a complete shell of himself. I want to say he is their leading rusher still, but he's like under 850 yards, which is really weird to me that, you know, running back like Joe Mixon is under 800 yards, but like, or under 850 yards. But Joe Burrow, he's still been able to pretty much carry the entire offense. I mean, we've talked about it before. He'll have some games where he's throwing the ball 50 times, and usually that's a bad sign. But Joe Burrow usually comes out on top in those games. Yeah, he has a very strong takeover ability when they can't establish the run game. But I think in this game against the Bills, they're going to have to run the ball inevitably. and. Yeah. I got a feeling that Joe Mixon could have a pretty solid game. It's just about doing it in the right positions. Sometimes I think that Zach Taylor kind of falls short when it comes to, and maybe it's not just Zach Taylor, maybe it's their offensive coordinator, which I can't quite remember his name right now. But I feel like they fall short sometimes on deciding when to pass and when to run. I think that if they opened up a few more sets of downs with a run just to start things off, they'd put themselves in better positions. But a lot of the times you see Joe Burrow throwing over the middle for a first down on the first play of the the downs. And it's like, okay, well, keep your guys on the field. If you're just going to march down over and over again, you pass the ball. If it goes incomplete, you're already in a bad spot second and ten. And then you try and run the ball to salvage a couple yards for third down, and you put yourself at third and eight. It just doesn't make sense to me, the situations they put themselves into, and I think that that's what hurts Joe Burrow for me on this list. Yeah, and, and if you want to help out Joe Burrow, I, I, I always rave about it on this podcast. I feel like get the play-action game going. That helps quarterbacks and the pass game out so much, and it even helps the run game out. Um. And you have the running back to do it. I, Joe Mixon, even though he's been a shell of himself, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think it's been more situational than it's been Joe Mixon himself. But um, I, I haven't said my number four yet. This is where I finally put Josh Allen on my list. And like I've said it a million times on this podcast, the sole reason he ended up on number four is because of the amount of turnovers he's made this season. That That's really all I have to say about my fourth pick. Yeah, and we've talked about it plenty of times today. It's that he forces himself into tough positions because he is overly confident in himself. And it's not a bad overconfidence. He has all the right in the world to be confident in himself. But when you start throwing into tight windows, you start forcing the ball downfield, you know, the game gets out of your hands. Yeah, and it does. And let's get into our fifth pick. I'll go first for this one. This is where Brock Purdy makes my list. I put Brock Purdy at number five. I, I think he's been I, I want to say like all the games that he's started, he's had a passer rating like above 95 every game. If he turns the ball over, it's usually one pick and that's it. Last week against Seattle, he completely just 
took a dump on the Seattle defense. It was amazing to watch Brock Purdy, like, actually, instead of being more of, like, a fill-the-roll fill quarterback, kind of like what Kenny Pickett is now, he was able to take over the entire game, and it was just so much fun to watch. This guy has a lot of potential. That's why he's number five. Yeah. Look, I like that take 100%. But I've got Daniel Jones here. I think that what Daniel Jones did last week and what he's done throughout this season as a dual-threat quarterback makes me a little bit more impressed than what Brock Purdy has done in this a bit smaller sample size. Dude, Daniel Jones only threw five picks this whole season. Yeah. He didn't throw a pick last week, um, I'm fairly sure. Um, and he's just having these perfect games over and over and over again. Last week was no exception. 24 for 35, 301, two touchdowns, no picks, a, a passer rating of 114. But it's also what he can do on the ground. Outside ground of game, dude, last week, sorry to cut you off, but no, his you're good. ground game last week was incredible. And yeah. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Look, outside of Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, he's easily the best dual threat quarterback in this list. And I think he's that. Boring. I think that where Josh Allen's at right now, I don't think he's looking to run the ball much. With Jalen Hurts' shoulder issues, he hasn't been running the ball much. I'd be willing to say that at this exact point in time, at 7.08 p.m. on January 19th, 2023, that Daniel Jones is the best dual-threat quarterback in these playoffs. Love that. I love that take. I don't even think that's a hot take. That's just that's just using your eyes to watch football. Yeah. <laughs> he 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 simply is the best dual threat quarterback at the moment right now. I agree. Dude, every time I looked up at the TV, it looked like he was rushing for a first down. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, 17 carries, 78 yards. It it just does it. And look, they don't have to give Saquon that many carries. They can use him in the passing game where he has been amazing, but you can just reserve Saquon's energy for the red zone. And that's where he is lethal. He had two touchdowns on nine carries last week. Like, Brian Dable and Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, they utilize this offense at its highest potential. And that's why they win games. That's why they're in the playoffs. That's why the Daniel Jones has been so good this season is that they use their opportunities correctly and they put themselves in the position to have more opportunities to excel. And this perfectly segues into my number six pick on the list. This is where I pick Daniel, Daniel Jones in. And yeah, everything you said, that that's what I'd want to say here, honestly. Daniel Jones has been really, really good dual-threat quarterback. The reason he's number six for me and below Brock Purdy is I think Daniel Jones's pass game really lacks in some games, but with the way that they run their offense, to your point, it, like you said, it's not necessarily about getting the ball in the best player's hands. You're not going to see Saquon have 20 carry, you know, like 20-plus carries for 100 yards. You're going to see a really efficient offense where – Everybody kind of does a little bit of everything, and they're in the divisional round because of it. Yeah, and this is where I put Brock Purdy. So we just had him flipped. I think that, like I had said earlier, I think that Daniel Jones's dual threat ability gave him the edge in my mind over Brock Purdy. But Brock Purdy still looked fantastic last week. You already went through his stats. He was undeniably good, and just throughout this season, he's been amazing. I've like 
I swear he just doesn't throw picks. He's only thrown four this season. And as a for a young quarterback in, you know, the early stages of his career and, you know, a guy that it's looking like he's going to be the starter next season, this is what you want to see out of a guy like this. This dude, look, you know, people just miss on their evaluation sometimes. We talk about yeah. it with Tom Brady. Tom Brady was yeah. a super late pick. Nobody's been later than Brock Purdy. Literally, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I. It's interesting. Kind of to go off topic here, what do you think's going to happen with Garoppolo and Trey Lance? Because uh, they must be watching him like, are you kidding? <laughs> so, like, who is this guy? <laughs> I think that their best option is to – trade Trey Lance he's young he's got upside a a top pick like he's a guy that you could get value out of I think it for Garoppolo at this point it's very obvious that he's a system quarterback and a guy that can't really you know excel Uh, I think he's just a a very much uh, a 250 to 300 passing yards um you know one two touchdown guy that's just what he is and that 100% works for a lot of teams I just think that the 49ers are ready to win, and Brock Purdy has never lost. Yeah, and if Purdy can continue this next season, I I could easily see the 49ers, like, I would say as far as going, like, 15-2. and I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I think they could be one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best. Anyway, um, my number seven is Trevor Lawrence. I still have him over Dak Prescott in this list. Uh, even though Trevor Lawrence threw four picks, he still, I mean, came back and threw four touchdowns. What more could you want if your quarterback throws four picks in the first half and gets absolutely sunned by Asante Samuel Jr.? Shout out Asante Samuel Jr. But still, Trevor Lawrence looks amazing. And the fact that a young quarterback like that pretty much dug himself a grave, young quarterbacks aren't supposed to come back in playoff games like that. And Trevor Lawrence persevered, and it was amazing to watch. That's why he's my number seven. Well, I think this will make you happy. He's my number seven as well. Dude, look, I I would love to have put him higher. But you can't throw four interceptions in in the first half of a playoff game. That's inexcusable. I don't care if it's your first start because there's multiple guys on this list who are making their first playoff appearance. They didn't do that. But uh, I think that, you know, what gave me the edge for Trevor Lawrence over Dak in this one is that Trevor Lawrence came back. He was down as much as you could ever be in a playoff game, as much as there has ever been for somebody to win, and they brought it back, and they just would not stop in that second half. That's what differentiates Trevor Lawrence. They even did it in the regular season, too. Look how they ran the table in the regular season. what, what they have been able to do with that young core of a team is amazing to watch. I cannot wait to see how, like, all of those players develop. They have such a fun pass game. Yeah. So we've yeah. kind of stated, you know, our, our Trevor Lawrence take at seven. And now it's just time to continue to just absolutely just take the piss on, on Dak Prescott <laughs> like we've done all year because he throws a lot of picks and whatever. So, Luke, please – Enlighten me on why Dak Prescott is the worst quarterback left in the playoffs. It's just because of his turnovers. He makes just inexcusable bonehead reads on a football field. But 
to give him some credit, you know, we have absolutely taken the piss, as you said, out of Dak Prescott almost every time we cover a Cowboys game. But that offense was rolling against Tampa. And it just shows, like, to me, it would be frustrating as a Cowboys fan to know that that is the potential and what you get in reality, basically. My dad, who's a diehard Cowboys fan, Grayson, he actually texted me during that game and said, this is the best I've ever seen them play, like, in a while. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I agree with that, Dad. It, it's they they are a very fun offense to watch when they are rolling, but man, Dak is Dak is an obvious number eight for me. He just doesn't make the reads that the other quarterbacks do. And it, when he does make awful reads, it doesn't seem like he's able to come back in a lot of them like Trevor Lawrence has been. So that's why Dak is my number eight. Yeah. And and I think that he's also, you know, you could make a claim for Daniel Jones for this, but he's one of the few guys that gets outshined by his running game. I think that how well Tony Pollard's played, and obviously Zeke is a great running back. We just haven't seen a ton of that. With how well those two guys play, I think that they you know, overshadow the mistakes that Dak Prescott makes. And yeah. it helps him in a way, but at the same time, you know, you'd like him to be the guy with the eyes on him when he's playing well. And I just, it doesn't happen enough for me to think that Dak is that good. And maybe that's on me. Maybe I haven't watched enough Cowboys football. It's hard to miss Cowboys football because they put them on primetime every week. <laughs> but I just, I don't see enough with Dak Prescott that makes me say that he's playing well because of the turnovers. Because look, Trevor Lawrence threw four, four interceptions last week and they won. Dak Prescott threw no interceptions, and that's what it took to win. But outside of that, like, how many games did he throw two picks in this season? It, it's oh, like got to be more. It, I know it's more yeah. than how many times he threw zero. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure it is. And it just continues to be that way for Dak Prescott. And look, we can sit around here and we can wait. As long as we all want to wait for Dak Prescott to not turn the ball over and, and to play at an elite level and be an all pro quarterback. But uh, I got bad news. You're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah. Um, and, and Dak is really like, if you want to go back in time here, um, I, he was a rookie in 2016, I believe out of Mississippi state. He, he's never looked better. He's never developed into like anything better than what his rookie season was. He has only been either, you know, uh, obviously he's only been worse is what I'm trying to say after his rookie year. And that's just not really what you want to see from a rookie. You don't want to see your rookies get worse over time. Uh, at least like right off the bat, you want to see them develop until they hit their prime and then start declining. But Dak Prescott's really only been declining since his rookie year. So yeah, you're going to be waiting a long time to see Dak Prescott turn into the superstar that everybody thought he was going to. Yeah, the only time I've ever been impressed by Dak Prescott was probably 2019. He played phenomenal, 30 touchdowns, almost 5,000 passing yards, only threw 11 interceptions, and that's what we've all been waiting for to come back. I don't know what happened. Maybe COVID you know, threw him off, wasn't training enough in that time, but there's something off with Dak Prescott for the last, what, three years, and... It's just, it's so bad. And he's had some brutal injuries, of course. Yeah, we, and we've brutal seen them. health issues as well. Yeah. I think his brother committed suicide. And, you know, he came out and 
said that he was depressed at one time and, you know, Skip Bayless, you know, <laughs> made sure the world knew about Dak Prescott being depressed. That another Skip Bayless mess up. But yeah, he, he's gone through a lot of hardships as well. But um, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just wanted to no, talk that, about that. That's a great point. Look, it's hard to be in the spotlight, especially when you're on the Dallas Cowboys because you've got Stephen A. every morning on first take telling you that you're the worst franchise in the history of the NFL while teams like the Texans exist. And then you've got Skip Bayless just just saying the wrong things about his favorite team. Yep. And just the entire media doesn't want to see the Cowboys play well, including me. But I, it doesn't mean I'm praying on Dak Prescott's downfall. I'm praying on his team's downfall. I, you know, look, Dak, you could throw five touchdowns a game as long as your, you know, defense gives up seven. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, just to overview the list again, uh, my list is Mahomes 1, Josh Allen 2, Jalen Hurts 3, Joe Burrow 4, Daniel Jones 5, Brock Purdy 6, Trevor Lawrence 7, and Dak Prescott at 8. Okay, so we, we had the same 7, 8, and 1, I think. Yeah, go I, ahead I had, and just go Yeah, go through your whole list. I had Mahomes at 1, Hurts at 2, Burrow 3, Josh Allen 4, uh, Brock Purdy 5, Daniel Jones 6, Trevor Lawrence 7, Dak Prescott 8. So pretty much what Grayson and I are trying to saying or trying to say here is just don't listen to Nick Wright. I mean, Trevor Lawrence <laughs> is three on his list. And Dak hey. Prescott's better than Purdy and Daniel Jones? Get out of here. No way. Look, no way. The thing is, is that we need guys like Nick Wright and Skip Bayless so that we can have fun. Yeah. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is better is not better than Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen. Are you kidding me? No, but as Nick Wright said, he's, he's the fine. prince. He's the prince. Oh yeah, that's right. He kept calling him the prince. I, I call him Thor with all that luscious hair. Yeah. Uh I just know that he grew up like twenty minutes away from me. Yeah. My high school played him actually. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the podcast, but ah, that's fine. Him. Okay, well not that much details. Well now we're gonna get into some MLB stuff. And, you know, Luke's going to be talking to me, uh, kind of just conversing about my picks. But I put together my five players that I'm very excited to see going into this 2023 MLB season. And let's just go ahead and get it started. I'm going to open it up with Wander Franco. He's coming oh. off of a pretty tough second year, uh, plagued with injury and, and just kind of inconsistency. I think that when he is ready to come back, this will be his arrival. He already was a phenomenal player in 2021, but now we're going to see why he had an 80-graded hit tool and why he is such an elite defender and why he has power mixed with contact, mixed with consistency and average and all of the above. We're going to see the complete Wander Franco this season, and I am so excited. Yeah, he um he always tears me up on the show. Every time I play the show, I always get crapped on by Wander Franco. <laughs> <laughs> that it's is a, the you, best portrayal of Wander Franco. <laughs> you said something about him, though, that was interesting. You, you What did you say about eight? 
He has a what? Okay, so this is this is something that I'm glad you're asking about. So okay, cool. the way the MOB um, pipeline grades prospects is out of 80. And so okay. he was graded, well, I believe, with an 80 hit tool, so how well he can hit. And an eight, I believe he was in the 80s for his fielding. So it's the best of the best, essentially. Okay, cool. Makes sense. So in the future, I will probably talk about this a lot more. Uh, yeah, Wander Franco just absolutely amazed people for years and years of how good he was. All right, let's hear your uh, let's hear your next one. All right, my next one is a guy that is in a new spot. It's Dansby Swanson. Okay, that that was mine. <laughs> so I, I think that Dansby has the potential to do some great stuff this year. The problem is the Cubs aren't going to win their division. And I don't even think they'll make the playoffs unless we see just such an outstanding year from their starting rotation, which is not very good. Yeah, I, I think the thing with me with uh, Dansby is uh, we, we talked about it before, I want to say off the podcast, but it's no secret that he got paid way too much money. And I'm just kind of, I'm just excited to see if he can live up to what he got paid. I, I don't think he will, but it would be interesting to see him just absolutely blow up with Chicago. Who knows? Yeah. I, I Look, I, I wish the best for Dansby. Obviously, I wish that if he wants to play his best, it was for the Braves. But regardless, he, yeah, you said it. He's not worth the money he was given. So he's got to prove it. Now he's got a long-term deal that he was looking for, a lot of money. He's living in the same city as his wife now. So that's got to be 75% of the reason he's on the Cubs. And I I just think that we're just going to have to sit here and see if Dansby can live up to this contract. Because, look, he wasn't great in 2021. He was pretty bad in 2019. He played decent in 2018 and was pretty bad in 2017. I just, I can't say that he's worth a long-term contract when he hasn't been good for two years in a row in his entire career. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Because look, he's on a long-term deal and you don't want, you know, a huge signing like this to come back to bite you in the ass. No, and and with the Cubs, I, I I could really see it happening. Is they could be you know made to look like fools with this Dansby um, Swanson pickup because he is overpaid, and in my opinion, it's pretty obvious that he's not worth what he got paid. But like I said earlier, who knows how he'll fit in with this uh, Chicago team? And hopefully, he does well. But it's no secret that his skill does not amount to what he got paid. In my opinion. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Let's talk about a guy who is playing in Atlanta this season, and that's Matt Olson. Look, Matt Olson, two years ago with the Athletics, was probably the best hitting first baseman in the league that season, and one of the most you know outstanding players that we got to watch. This past season, his first year in Atlanta, it didn't go as well as some people wanted it to, though he had the extra base hits going. He had, you know... A, a, a solid season. It just wasn't 
you know, MVP caliber like some people were expecting. I think that's an unfair expectation, but there's a there's a, a couple, I think like seven more years of Matt Olson in Atlanta, and I'd love for it to get started now. Yeah, and, it, and he's definitely poised to. I mean, he's got the first season jitters with a new team out of the way. And I, I just want to say this as a non-Braves fan, y'all lucked out so hard with losing Freddie and getting Matt Olson as the replacement. That, like, for a team's longevity, could not have worked out better. Because I, I think Matt Olson will get a lot better with the Braves. We have not seen his entire Braves potential. Yeah, and look, he played 162 games last year, and he was great. Honestly, there, there's nothing else to say. He was great. 294 total bases, the you know 44 doubles, 34 home runs. That's a great season, but it's not MVP caliber. It's not exactly what we are looking for. Only batting 240 is not really what we want to see. We want to see that 271 that he had in 2021 with the Athletics. So, look, there's there's things to seek with Matt Olson. But, you know, he's not entirely to blame. You can't say that just because we lost Freddie and we got back Matt Olsen, a, a gold glove winning, uh, I think two-time gold glove winning first baseman, uh, a one-time all-star, a guy who has, he finished top eight in the MVP voting in 2021. He is still the guy. Like, he is the first baseman you want, especially looking to the future, and... I think that this year he has the opportunity to get you know steal the hearts of Braves fans. Yeah, I, I like that take. Um, isn't he from Georgia? Yes. As well? Yeah. He yeah, uh, so, he went to Parkview. Okay. Yeah. So he's already a homegrown kid. I mean, and and to your point, I I could not imagine what this Braves team would look like next season if Matt Olson even bats like two sixty five. I, that would be ridiculous. I think it would be a ridiculous Braves team if Matt Olson is able to step up into the to the complete role that Braves fans thought they were getting. Even though he didn't play, you know, bad last season, you know, who knows what he could look like normally with the Braves. <laughs> yeah, look, he doesn't have to produce everything. You've got Ronald Acuna, a guy who I think is going to win the MVP. You've got Austin Riley, who is a top at least top three third baseman in the NL and probably the whole league. And then you've also got Ozzy Albies is going to be coming back healthy. You've got uh, the new addition, Sean Murphy, a catcher. He's going to be able to do some stuff. you got Travis Darno as well. And you've got the young guy, Michael Harris, to continue to just get on base and make things happen. So, look, Matt Olson doesn't need to be the, the sole difference maker for the Braves. He just has to play a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, that's that's honestly yeah that's just how good the Braves are he only has to play a little bit better I actually have a player that I want to bring up if you were done with Matt Olson no please Andrew McCutcheon back in Pittsburgh I, I can't wait to see it it's going to be so nice for my childhood <laughs> yeah I, I I loved Andrew McCutcheon uh, when I was growing up he was like I think that's when he won the MVP it was like when I really started getting into baseball and yeah he is phenomenal not anymore, really. But, yeah. you know, we'll be realistic. He's not going to, you know, stand out all that much. I think this is kind of a retire with the team you came up with deal. But he's great. He's what a great if, personality. There, what if he plays during a furry convention? 
that's true. Uh, yeah, Foolish Baseball, <laughs> a.k.a. Foolish Bailey, did a fantastic video on Andrew McCutcheon's odd connection to FurryCon in Pittsburgh. Um, he, like, every time he sees furries, he tweets furries. And for some reason, he always plays very well on whenever FurryCon is in town. So whenever FurryCon comes to Pittsburgh, be ready for Andrew McCutcheon to probably bat like 400 that weekend. I just had to bring it up because um, I I watched the video that you sent me immediately. As soon as you sent it to me, I was in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot and I was just giggling the whole time. That it was really funny. Yeah, dude. Foolish, foolish baseball. Shout out Bailey. He yes. is an amazing content creator and also Braves fan. So you got to give it up to him. I didn't know he was a Braves fan. Yeah, man. He's from Atlanta. Huge Atlanta United oh, cool. fan as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I Shout out um, from me to him as well. As someone who doesn't really even know that much about baseball, he kind of breaks it down. It's really simple. And baseball is just a game with so many nuances, and it's just so entertaining to have it like simply broken down in front of you. Yeah. For anybody sports. that wants to know more about advanced stats and, and what they mean and how they compare – Go watch some some baseball bits on Foolish Baseball, uh, the YouTube channel, because he does an amazing job of you know giving perspective on what some of these stats mean. And uh, trust me, I'll be whipping out the advanced stats all year long. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. Well, I want to talk about a guy who plays for your team. Oh, now here's a guy. Carlos <laughs> Rodon. Yes, exactly. Chris Collinsworth <laughs> style. Here's a guy. And it's Carlos Rodon. Look, I will always be interested in seeing how a top pitcher plays when they go and play for the Bronx Bombers. Man, Bronx Bombers. I love that nickname. I, I'm interested to see, too. I mean, and I think I actually had a take maybe on a previous podcast. I don't know if I said it, but I know I've definitely thought it. I think um, Carlos could end up being better than Garrett Cole. Uh, this season in New York. That's that's kind of my hot take, I think, for, for his situation. Look, he's a back-to-back all-star, a top six in Cy Young both years. He is phenomenal. One of the best um, left-handed pitchers in the league. And if he can just continue pitching like he did in Chicago and like he did in San Fran, he's going to stand out. But there is a huge pressure on you when you play for the New York Yankees. And, and that could be what, you know, brings him down. Yeah. And New York is um, kind of like Dallas, I think. in in the sense where being a player on that team, you almost take a certain, um, it, it's like a, it, it's for some reason, always a bigger deal, right? There, there's a lot of like celebrity aura that surrounds those teams. And, you know, that's, probably why a lot of players don't go and play well there of course you have players like a rod that relish in all that attention uh, if y'all know what i'm saying he he was the perfect player the perfect arrogant you know piece of junk to play in new york but um yeah the the yankee yankee fans are obviously pretty unforgiving uh that's something that they always will be and there is a lot of pressure on carlos but i i think he can do well he's already kind of older he's seasoned i, I think he he could he could play well in new york yeah, I, I think that what it, it what helps him the most going into playing in New York is his FIP last year. FIP is fielding independent pitching, 
led the league with a 2.25 FIP, and that is going to be big. Look, I, I hate to break it to you, but the Yankees don't have the best defensive infield. No. And outside of Aaron Judge in the outfield, they don't have the best defensive outfield. And when you've got a guy that creates the outs from the mound, it's going to change a lot. Look, he's a high strikeout guy, and that's just going to help them out even more. So every you know five days when he's on the bump, let those Yankees players get a little bit of a break from defense. Yeah, should have signed Brett Gardner. That guy was uh, crazy in the outfield, or should have re-signed him <laughs> instead of letting him retire. Yeah, we guy. we need we need to see Brett Gardner throwing bubble gum across the dugout a little bit more. Yeah, or you know having a guardy party in the dugout, banging his bat on the roof <laughs> or on the ceiling. Have you seen that clip? Oh, uh, of course I have. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorites. It's just such like a New Yorker like apartment, like, hey, keep it down. I love it. <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about our last guy, and it is the AL Rookie of the Year, Julio Rodriguez. Oh, Look, I love that. I, I think that we have been – we've come accustomed to – a lot of players struggling in their second year, especially guys that have just won the rookie of the year. It just happens all the time. And look, the sophomore slump is 100% a thing in major league baseball. And a lot of times it's real bad, but if Julio Rodriguez can do what he did last year, he's going to continue to play well. He'll be an all-star again. He'll be an MVP caliber player. If that can continue, the sky's the limit for Julio Rodriguez. Hasn't um, Cody Bellinger been like fighting his sophomore slump for like four years now or something crazy like that? I well, feel like he's been bad forever. No, not okay. really. Um, he won the rookie of the year, I believe, um, his rookie season. And then he did have a sophomore slump. And then came back the next year. And I'm pretty sure won the NL MVP over Christian Yelich. Okay. And then he sucked. Gotcha, gotcha. But now he's on the Cubs. That's right. That'll be interesting to see. But um, back to Rodriguez, though. Oh man, that did, he won the home one home run derby, right? Uh, I thought it was, I think Juan Soto won it. Okay. Well, anyway, he made it to the championship. Guy, yeah. This guy, he is such an exciting young player. I would really hate to see the sophomore slump, you know, catch him up. But he he also plays on on a team that is kind of like, I don't know. I get like Giants vibes with the Mariners. Is there last season they, there was a big like kind of underdog, you know, hungry mentality over there, and I, they're a, just a fun team as a whole to watch right now. But yeah, I hope Rodriguez doesn't fall to the slump. Yeah, and I don't think he will. He's a very good hard hit ball percentage guy like his hard hit rate is 51.2 an average exit velo of 92 off the bat um he does hit a, a little bit of ground balls 46.3 percent ground ball percentage but he is very good at just making contact he doesn't strike out a ton which is huge for a young player only 145 strikeouts last season and just getting on base is the biggest part in a 345 on base percentage last year. I think that it's going to be huge for him. He won 
He was an all-star. He was seventh in the MVP voting in the AL, won the Rookie of the Year, won a Silver Slugger. The the sky is the limit for Julio Rodriguez, and I think that you know if he can come out in his second season and continue to light it up, we're going to have to watch out for him for a long time. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about our – I feel like this has become my favorite part of our shows. It's talk about the Premier League. Okay. Yeah. I, I really it like good. it. So, I did you watch any of the Palace versus Man U game on Wednesday? I did not. Okay. So, it was actually a, a, a decent game, um, but it went uh, interesting, uh, to say the least. Yeah. Um, Palace ended up, you know, somehow scraping away with the tie. Um against Manchester United scoring in stoppage time, I believe. But, you know, kind of looking at the stats in this game, Palace were not out of the game at all whatsoever. They had 10 shots on goal, five on target, which the five shots on target was actually more than what Manchester United had on target. Manchester United finished the game with 15 shots, four on target. Um, Palace definitely, they, they were getting chances despite only 39% possession. I think... I think Palace kind of deserved to come away with the tie in this one. Yeah, I think that uh, they played really well. Uh, like you said, the possession was pretty low, but that's become a big thing in soccer now, where possession is not very even a lot of the time. And look, man, you—they played well. You know, they led it. They they beat them in tackles by eight. They com- they completed so many more passes successfully, but <laughs> yeah. Where Man U falls is not creating chances. Look, th- we've talked very highly of the midfield from Man U and how they can create chances. It just didn't seem like they were. Um, Christian Eriksen got the assist on the Bruno Fernandez goal, but I-, I need to see a little bit more out of the attacking play. And Marcus Rashford kind of having to play a little bit back in this formation in Weghorst starting at the striker position, it just doesn't really appeal to me. And I think that's where they hurt themselves. Uh, I think that this was a little bit of a load management game when it came to just this entire lineup in general um, with Weghorst's striker because they know they have to play on uh, on Sunday. But nonetheless, you shouldn't be drawing against Crystal Palace. No, and especially when you're coming off of nine wins in a row. This would have been number 10 for Manchester United um, if it wasn't for Palace, you know, scoring a last uh, second winner. But it it was just weird how this game played out, man, because Manchester United, as I just said, were at this point coming off of nine wins in a row, and Palace just lost 1-0 to a brutally out-of-form Chelsea team. And and Manchester United is coming off of uh, the Manchester Derby win. This is not how I expected this game to go, to say the least. And But it ended up being a really good one. Yeah. And something I'm very happy about is now, you know, Man U's got themselves into a tough position, and I want to see this team have to fight. They, they've kind of been gifted this fifth-place spot, and now they're kind of on the ropes, and they've got to get it in gear. Yeah, this is going to be – it'll be big for uh, Manchester United uh, as to how they bounce back in their next Premier League game, I think. All right, well, let's talk Thursday's match that happened, Man City versus Spurs. City took it 4-2, and 
and they did exactly what I wanted them to do, which was have Julian Alvarez and Erling Holland on the field at the same time. And yeah. it worked out. Yeah, you might be um, a soccer genius here, uh, Grayson, because uh, Julian Alvarez, what a signing he has been for Manchester United. He has started in three games for – not for Manchester United, City, sorry. He started three games for City this year because um, he was obviously bought, you know, right after the World Cup. He's already scored two goals, and here, you know, he scored in a big game against Tottenham. What a signing he's been. Pair him at center attacking mid with a striker like Holland in midfield with De Bruyne behind you at four goals is what you should normally expect. Uh, and it was also cool to see Rihad Mahrez pick up two goals as well. Those were actually his first two goals of the season. Look, I'm sorry. I got to correct you. Julian Alvarez has actually been with the team since last season. He's got 23 appearances this year. What? Yeah. I I thought I double-checked that. Are you sure? Yes. I'm oh. actively looking at the Premier League's website. Okay, cool. Um I guess I guess take it away from here. <laughs> All right. Well, look, look, Julian Alvarez. When I watched him play in this World Cup, that is where you know the attention got put on him in my eyes. And look, he's an attacking threat, no matter what. And they put him at a little bit more. I believe they start him on the wing. I could be wrong there, but regardless, it, it worked out. And look, they both had a goal. Holland and Alvarez, on top of Riyad Mahrez putting up two, which I was kind of surprised by. I don't think that Riyad Mahrez has been on the best form even over the last, like, two seasons. But, look, two goals in a game at Spurs, who's a a team that's in the top four right now, it's impressive. Yeah, and what Manchester City simply did was they exposed Tottenham's biggest weakness, and we've said it over and over again on this podcast. Tottenham are team with a absolute spearhead of an attack. It's deadly as all as you can get almost. But they do not their attack cannot keep up with how bad their defense is and it showed this game. Yeah, and I do want to correct myself I'm looking at Man City's lineup right now. Um Alvarez started at Cam and De Bruyne sat this game out. Okay, so they cool. they just beat Spurs and they sat Yao Cancelo, Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden and I'm Eric Laporte. And Ruben Diaz, who ended up getting subbed on in, like, the 90th minute for Erling Holland. Yeah. That's insane. They just they just beat Spurs 4-2, and they started – their back four was Akanji, John Stones, Nathan Ake, and Rico Lewis. I've never even heard of Rico Lewis before. <laughs> Neither have I, and that's probably why he wears the number 82. But what a, what a game, <laughs> those guys. And then, you know, for Tottenham, we're still not seeing enough out of their attacking play. We've talked about it on numerous occasions now where they've got forwards and it just doesn't seem to be working out. Look, Dejan Kulisevsky was on the wing, I believe, in this game. But I just I don't like it. I don't like what I'm seeing right now. And them running a three at the back doesn't make a lot of sense for me. Eric Dyer, Christian Romero, and Ben Davies. It, it, it can't be a complete defense there. But, you know, having a midfielders that play a, a solid defensive game like Hoiberg and Bentonker, it, it could have worked out. It just didn't. And I, I just I need to see more out of Harry Kane and Huang Minson right now. 
Yeah, um, they were obviously, you know, they both started and played the entire game, but they were, you know, complete no-shows, really. So, yeah, they, they're they going to be your difference makers, and if they're not going, you know, and your defense is obviously bad, <laughs> you're, you're going to get games like this. I think for Tottenham, even scoring two goals is kind of, uh, that's impressive that they did that this game with Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son just not really performing. Yeah, and another thing I got to talk about with Tottenham is Hugo Lloris. He's just kind of off, it seems. He's only got five clean sheets and 28 appearances. That is not the Hugo Lloris that we are used to. He's conceded 29 goals, and he's made three errors leading to goals. It just it seems like you know age is maybe catching up to him, but he's just not playing all that well. Yeah, I think if you're Tottenham, um, you know, once it comes summertime and the season's over, you really need to pull a Chelsea and uh, splurge on defense. Don't pull a Chelsea and suck. Pull a Chelsea and splurge on defense and goalie, probably. That's some wonderful advice there. Yes. But let's talk what's going to happen this weekend. We've got a couple of great games on Saturday and Sunday. And then a, a decent game on Monday as well that we'll talk about. So I've got three games from Saturday that I want to talk about. We'll start it off, of course, Liverpool-Chelsea. This is easily the, the best game of the weekend. Yeah, you have uh, ninth place Liverpool playing 10th place Chelsea. Both teams are awful right now. Of course, Liverpool coming off of a loss, Chelsea coming off of a you know a win finally. It, I, I don't really know what else to say about this game. It, it'll just be interesting to see which team can you know prevail. If it's a nil-nil draw, both of these teams should probably just sell the rest of their season. But if a team can come out on top, that'll be a big statement. Yeah, and I just realized I said this was the best game of the weekend. It's not. Uh, it's Arsenal Man U on Sunday. But what I'm excited for in this Chelsea game is most likely the debut of Michaelo Mudrik. This signing was interesting. People think People thought for a little while that he was going to Arsenal. And then all of a sudden, his name is in Chelsea's bio before the transfers even confirmed. Yeah, it was so. I am just so glad that we're in tenth place right now, and we are still swooping transfers away from our rival Arsenal. It, it was. I actually laughed out loud when I heard the news that we were swooping in from him because I had never heard of this guy. I just thought it was kind of funny and a good thing that we were taking him from Arsenal. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I looked into him a little bit. He's been amazing for Shakhtar Donetsk, and it, it looks like he's kind of the next guy when it comes to finding a dude from you know Eastern Europe where there isn't a ton of great football talent that we've seen, or sorry, soccer talent. I'm not gonna you know conform to the societal ideas of the Europeans, but um, that's why we have yeah. the Revolutionary War, right? Exactly. We We're allowed to football. say soccer because we won the war. But, um, yeah, I, there's not a ton of talent that comes out of Eastern Europe. But, you know, maybe this is where we start seeing a switch. And, and I think that, you know, finding young players is extremely difficult for even the biggest clubs in the world. But getting Michaela Mudrik onto the squad, it, it they obviously need the attacking help. And he yeah. is not just an immediate fix, but one with potential for the future. Yeah, um, to your point, he's played, obviously, like you said, amazing in Ukraine. And I know a lot of Chelsea fans are kind of questioning it because this is a really high-dollar transfer for a player that's played well but in Ukraine. 
Premier League is a way, way different ball game. Um, a lot of players from really good, like the, some of the top leagues in Europe have come to the Premier League and not played well. It, it's a tough place to play, and it really, you know, goes to show that the ones that have come here from smaller leagues and played well, you know, there's a lot to be said about that, and hopefully this guy can do it. But I know a lot of Chelsea fans are skeptical. Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, looking at his stats right now, he's played sensational. 12 matches this season in Ukraine, 7 goals, 7 assists. But then in the Champions League, six matches, three goals. That's that's some good stuff to see out of a guy who's only 22 years old and playing in Ukraine. Yeah, just $100 million still not on a striker, though. That, that's my one issue. Of course, he can score goals, but uh, Chelsea, just they, they need a striker. We should have splurged on a striker, I think. Yeah, I'm excited for this guy a lot. I'm, I'm really excited for this guy. But to talk just a little bit more about this upcoming match, I I, I think Liverpool's got it. I, I still just I, – I can't get behind Chelsea. I'm sorry, Luke. It's okay. I understand. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, any any kind of score prediction for this one? Uh, I'm going to go 1-1 draw. I'm going to go 1-0 Liverpool. Yeah, that probably would be my second guess. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk Leicester versus Brighton. And I only think that this is going to be a good match because Brighton is on some solid form, and I really like what they've got going right now. Yeah, I wanted to bring up on the podcast that they they just, like, murdered Liverpool, which I, I think you and I both predicted would happen. Look, this Brighton team, so fun to watch. And I, I think they're going to run it up against Leicester as well, too. Yeah, dude, they've got a good thing going in Brighton. And I, I think it starts with... Uh, some solid forward play from some guys that we aren't really accustomed to playing all that well. Leandro Trossard has played well. Danny Welbeck hasn't gotten too much. But um, Moises Caicedo um, and just a couple other guys. Alex McAllister from Argentina who had yeah. such a great World Cup. He's playing pretty well. And I like uh, Pascal Grove too. That's yes. another one on their team. Six goals, three assists, and 18 matches. That's impressive. Yeah, and it's actually pronounced gross. Gross, got it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that 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 letter has always tripped me up, but I mean it's a B, but that's okay. Jordan. It sure does what look like one. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, it is uh, gross. But yeah, I just I think that Lester has plenty of stuff to work on. They're not looking good, and it shows in the table. Like right now, they're fifteenth, and Brighton's seventh. So. Look, Brighton's on the climb. They're they're three points away from fifth place, and they've got a chance to continue to jump up. But, you know, look, Leicester is not an easy team to play. They're just playing really bad right now. They've yeah. lost their last four, and what what they need to do is create chances. They need to score more goals. You, their their top goal scorer right now is James Madison, and I think that kind of tells the story why they haven't really been that great. Jamie Vardy is their assist leader. He's not even in their top three goal scoring. I, I don't think. Kind of looking at the stats here, and and I think that's kind of the the biggest problem is I, I don't think Leicester was really prepared to have Jamie Vardy play bad, and I think that's why you're seeing a Leicester team that's in fifteenth. Of course, like you said, they still have good players. They can still compete with anybody on a good day, but we haven't seen a good day from Leicester in a while. Yeah. 
Look, Patson Daka should not have more goals than Jamie Vardy. No. But so same with Yuri Tielemans too. Yuri Tielemans is an awesome midfielder, but he should not have more goals as Jamie Vardy than Jamie Vardy. Yeah, it's it's weird to see, but yeah, they they are not very good, and it's almost it's getting to the point where it's almost too late to turn things around. And look, you're sitting at 17 points right now. Just to get up into the top half, you've got to. You've got to climb a, a an eleven point hill. Yeah, and it's it's going to be tough for Leicester, and they really don't look like they can make that climb. No, I don't think so either. So, what's your score prediction here? Uh, Leicester Brighton. I'm going to go. I think Brighton will score three goals again. I think Leicester gets one though. Three one. Okay, I think it's going to be. I think this is a weird one. I'm going to go one one. Ooh, okay. You think Brighton's form will, or uh, yes, it'll be not as good against last year. Yeah, look, I, I trust Leicester in, in turning it around here, and if they don't turn it around now, they're not going to. So, uh, I think that this will light a fire under their ass to just bring it together. And yeah, Brighton has some holes in this team. They're on good form, and they've looked really good just throughout this season, but there's still holes there that you could capitalize on, and they've got an opportunity to do it. Gotcha. You think Jamie Vardy gets a goal this game? Hell no. <laughs> That's not happening. Okay, let's talk Palace versus Newcastle. So, look, Palace surprised a lot of people getting the draw against Man U, and... A quick turnaround from Wednesday. They're now playing <laughs> another top four team on Saturday. And I think that Newcastle, in my opinion, has looked better than Man U. Ooh, okay. That's a that's a hot take. I don't think it is. Newcastle has only scored three less or sorry, they've scored three more goals than Man U. And they've given up 11 less. They've given up half of what Man U has given up. It, it, Man U is just sliding by off of consecutive wins, whereas Newcastle's been sustaining it over the full season. But Man U only has a plus 8 goal differential. Newcastle has a 22 goal differential. Yeah, I, I think what what gets me with you know Newcastle as compared to Manchester United is Newcastle have just tied way too many games. I, I would like to see more wins there from Newcastle if we're going to talk about you know being better than Manchester United. But interesting stat I do want to bring out or bring up though Newcastle and Arsenal are the only team to have lost or the only two teams to have lost one game this year. That's insane to me. Yeah, look, they look great. They know how to not lose. Yeah, but they're playing a Palace team that really took it against Manchester United. I mean, really played well. So Newcastle, you know, if I'm Newcastle, it's not going to be the easiest game in the world. Palace have kept, even when they played Chelsea, it was only a 1-0 loss for Palace. So they really haven't played bad against the teams that, you know, Chelsea aren't obviously good, but it's still a big deal to beat Chelsea. They play well against kind of the big deal teams. Yeah, they do. And I think that, you know, it, it, like you said, Palace has surprised us throughout this season. 
and, and right now they're in 12th. They're, they're pretty middle of the pack. Their problem is conceding goals. They've got a negative nine goal differential because they can't really score and they can't really defend. They're pretty average at both, and yep. it's just not working out. Yeah, and they got to play a Newcastle team that is – I mean, there's not much more to say other than that they're fourth, which is incredible. And Miguel Almiron, he – wasn't really scoring a lot lately. I want to say that he scored recently, so, you know, he's still in good form. Crystal Palace might have their work cut out for him, but like we said, they've kept a lot of the really big teams close in scoreline, so I I really don't know how this game could play out. Yeah, and I think that with Newcastle, you face a different monster than most of the other teams that you face in the Premier League because they've got production all over the field. It's not just a couple of players in the midfield or one forward. It's a bunch of different guys. Look, Callum Wilson, he's got six goals. Joe Ellington, two goals. Chris Wood, two goals. Alan St. Maximin, one goal, but he's got three assists. Alexander Isak, three goals in only four appearances. And then in the midfield, you've got Miguel Almiron, who's got nine goals this season. And then Joe Willock's got two goals, two assists. Like, there is production across the board, and it's very tough to stop that. Yeah, and and Newcastle, you know, to your point, it, it, they're, it's kind of like watching a baby arsenal. You know, they, it's that same thing. Production is all over the field, which is why they're so hard to stop. Yeah, and look, they've got Nick Pope in goal, 19 appearances, 11 clean sheets. That is so, so, so good. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. So I, I'm i going to go ahead and give you my score prediction. I think it's going to be 3-0 Newcastle. Wow. You think Palace are just going to get ran all over this game? Yeah. Look, I, look, Palace, they can't score, and they concede too many goals. Newcastle can 100% score, and they don't concede anything. Yeah, I... I'm going to go 1 0 Newcastle. All right. Well, that brings us to Sunday. We've got two pretty good matchups. One, it, it's a little bit more um, situational to say that it's a good matchup. But Sunday, we've got Man City versus Wolves. And I genuinely think this could be a great matchup. Look. Oh, no, Grayson. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Wolves has something to prove here. They're in 16th. They're avoiding the relegation zone. They've got more to play for than Man City. Man City's five points back. This weekend, they're not jumping into first. But, yeah, Man United is on their tails. They're only three points back. But I I feel like Wolves, they've got talent on this roster. It's just not working out right now. They just need to score. And, And maybe this is the week they do it. You know, I'm trying to reason with myself. It, it's not It's not happening. <laughs> well, uh, to your point, it, it would be ideal for Wolves to really show up here. Of course, playing, you know, any team in the top six in the Premier League, of course it is scary, you know, being like a, a way worse team. But at the same time, these are the games where your form and something to build off of is started. So I'm sure Wolves will definitely be looking to, you know, cause an upset here to maybe – light a fire under the ass of the players and, you know, get going on trying to climb out of the relegation zone. But 
I just don't think it'll happen. I, I think Manchester City could win this game 5 nothing. That's my score prediction. Whoa. I think it's going to be 2-1 Man, Man City. Okay, so you think Wolves will keep it pretty close. Yeah, I, I think it's tough when you played on Thursday and you got to play again on Sunday. Though they sat a, a couple of key players, Erling Holland played, Julian Alvarez played, Jack Grealish played, like some guys that are, are normal starters in your lineup. It's hard to play two Premier League matches in one week. Yeah, that that is true. But to Manchester City's luck is it's against Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> so I I think that you know with them arresting players, it was a pretty good idea. And I think Wolverhampton will see it either a full or a you know the majority of Manchester City's lineup will be their regular one. And yeah, five five nothing. <laughs> right. I think that's that's my score prediction. All right. Well, let's talk the actual. Good game on Sunday. Arsenal versus Man United. As it sits right now, Arsenal's at one, Man United's at three. This is a big one. Look, Arsenal has continued to show out. And we've got to see it again. They've, They've played great, but this is Man United. This is a team that is hot on their tails, and they've got to get the win here. I think this will be Arsenal's second loss of the season. I, I think Manchester United shows up this game and beats them. I, I really do. Look, this Arsenal team is great. I I, I honestly they're they're so great that I don't really have any stats to back up that they will lose to Manchester United. I, I just think, you know, the way that the the like kind of like your first versus third games end up in the Premier League, this will be one of the times that Arsenal slips up this year. I think it's gonna be a draw. Okay. What what's the what's the draw? I think what's it should be two two. Two two. Okay. I'm gonna go two one united. Look two one united. Arsenal scores goals though. That is true. But both of these teams, not just Manchester United, both these teams have been pretty sound defensively. I just think Arsenal slips up this game. Alright. Yeah, I I think it's gonna be what did I say? I said two two. Two two, yeah. Look, I can see anything happening in this match. Yeah. It's, I, I agree. It's a very tough spot to be in for Arsenal, honestly. Look, Man U's on the rise only because of uh, the mid the midweek match. But just seeing that plus eight goal differential, I just can't convince myself that Man United can win against another top four team. Yeah. Uh, it definitely makes sense, but Manchester United have only been – they've only conceded three goals in their last five games. And, of course, Arsenal, I want to say, also has only conceded three goals in their last five games. But I, I just think Manchester United will get the upper hand here. I, I think they'll show up, especially if they play their strikers right. I think Arsenal could have their work cut out for them. All right. Well, let's talk Monday. Monday we've got Fulham versus Spurs. Ah, uh, yes. This is the game for the Europa League spot at this point. Fulham's at 6, Tottenham's at 5. Tottenham 33 points, Fulham 31. This is a big one. Yeah, uh two London teams matching up. It's kind of, you know, a, a little bit of a rivalry game, you know, not like Tottenham uh Arsenal, but it, it's still it's still got that London <laughs> in the game. I I can't wait for this one. I I I cannot wait. I think Fulham 
Fulham, I think, will come away with the upset in this one. I, I really do. I, I think Tottenham, as much as they look good, they are such a shaky team. You just never know with Tottenham, especially with their, you know, horrible defense. And we even saw it today. Um, they're, so they sometimes get no production out of their top players and Harry Kane and Son. And if that happens against Fulham, with Fulham's form, they're going to win the game. Yeah. Fulham has a, a very sound defense. Bernd Leno has played pretty solid this season. He's given up some goals, but Tim Ream has played great in the back. Anthony Robinson, Tosin Adara Bioyo. It's hard to say that one fast. But <laughs> look, they've got a sound defense. And on top of it, they have a, a pretty good offense with Willian, uh, you know, a veteran, Carlos Vinicius. Alexander Mitrovic, who's been a phenomenal player for them with 11 goals. Uh, I I really do think that Fulham can win this one, especially with, like you said, the inconsistency of the attack from Tottenham. Yeah, and uh, shout out Willian. He actually um, scored against Chelsea a couple days ago and did not celebrate. So thank you for your seven years at Chelsea, Willian. We could honestly do with you back. <laughs> but um, yeah, Fulham... Great offensive production, sound defense, and that great offensive production is what's going to carry him here. I think I think we could see a 2-0 win Fulham. All right. Yeah, I I actually agree. I, I want to say it's going to be 2-0. Awesome. All right. Well, there's one thing that we need to talk about before we talk stake your claim, and I forgot oh, yes. to add this to the prep sheet. Um, Anton Walks, the news that we got today. Um, he died at age 25 uh, in a boating accident. Uh, former Atlanta United player, uh, I think on two separate stints, uh, currently playing for, or was playing for Charlotte FC. Um, I don't really know what all happened. Uh, it was a two-vessel accident uh, in Miami. He was unconscious, uh, received CPR, and uh, after being transported to um, the shore and then passed away in the hospital, I believe. Yeah, very sad. I, uh, As a season ticket holder for Atlanta United, I got to watch a lot of Anton, Anton Walks play, and he was, he was on the rise. He um, only got better every time that I watched him. It felt like he was, um, he was a special talent. It's super sad. Yeah, I, I remember when... We got him on loan for our inaugural season in Atlanta United um, from Tottenham, where he came up. He played very well um, and then uh, joined the club permanently in 2020, played those two seasons, and then moved to Charlotte for uh, this past season. But, yeah, man, this is so hard to see a 25-year-old player who was playing very well in the MLS to see that come to uh, such a tragic end. Yeah, no, nah, it was it was pretty bad. Like I said, he he had, I I would say that he may may have could have could have ended back up in Europe, you know, with with how good that he was playing in the MLS. But obviously, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, not really watching him a lot at Charlotte, but yeah, very sad news today. Yeah, it. I hate seeing this kind of news, and this is the second young player we've seen pass away. We saw with uh UGA football Devin Woolock earlier in the week um yeah it's so so hard to see 
When, yeah, 2023's been tough. Yeah, it, right. it sure has. But you know what? Let's let's lighten the mood. End out the show with stake your claim. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Pump the brakes! Pump the whoa. brakes! We're gonna we're gonna lighten the mood with something different. Ronaldo and Messi. Oh yes, yes, yes. Played against each other for the last time today. Ronaldo scored two goals. Of course, obviously one of them had to be a penalty. Just had to be for Ronaldo to score multiple goals in a game. Sorry, Cristiano, but that's kind of what you are now. Um, and Messi scored. It was just like, I don't know, like it, it almost like kind of made me emotional thinking about it. Like these two players have done so much for my childhood, even though I've never been a fan of any of the teams that they've been on, especially I, I hate PSG, but it's just like Messi and Ronaldo have done so much for so many people. And I, I, I think it's safe to say, you know, a lot of people were talking about Holland and Mbappe being kind of the new, like, Ballon d'Or takeover duo. No, it, it just simply won't happen. Ronaldo and Messi, their, their time together, their shared, you know, stage, there will be nothing that tops that. And it was so cool, so cool to see them, you know, both score in their last game against each other. It was awesome. Yeah, I think the situation that this game was played in is weird. Like having a, a an all star team from the Saudi Arabia play against PSG middle of the season on a Thursday club friendly. Like this is just weird. It's obviously um some kind of money connection, but yeah, it, it uh, like when you told me this game happened, I had no idea. First of all. And I was just surprised that they would just put together an all-star team and play a, a random club friendly in the middle of the season. Yeah, um, but it, to, to your point, the, the money thing must have worked out for them uh, because I want to say 2 million people requested a ticket to this game. Yeah, like uh, it's that's Messi an and Ronaldo. Draw. Nothing yeah. <laughs> else brings in players like Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah, nah, it, and even, I, I want to say the game was in Saudi Arabia, even with, with the game being in Saudi Arabia, it still drew that much attention, which of course it would. It was just, I I, I don't know. It, it just was very, it was a strange situation, but if you look past that and just look at what both of those players have done for the entire you know sporting world as a whole, it, it's undeniable that this game was going to be a big deal, and I'm, I'm glad to see them both score. It was yeah. awesome. PSG. Their, their five goals to the uh, Riyadh All-Stars four, um, the five goals each coming from a different player, Leo, scores it in the third minute, which yeah. is <laughs> so, it, that's such a Lionel Messi thing to do. He, yep. he knew that like at some point he was just going to come off in this game, and he was like, ah, I might as well get my goal in pretty quickly, not have to worry about it for the rest of the game. Yeah, now I can rest. <laughs> yeah, and then Marquinhos in the 43rd, Sergio Ramos in the 53rd, and then Mbappe scores a penalty in the 60th, and Hugo Ekatike in the 78th. That's, oddly enough, um, three goals out of the defense. Is that, isn't Ekatike is a defenseman, right? Or am I wrong? I think so. I think no. So. No, I think he's, Not- a, he's an attacker. I'm dumb. Yeah, he's a striker. Okay. Whatever. Okay, okay. But yeah, two goals out of the defense is pretty cool. Yeah, and and also you know, overshadowed by Ronaldo and Messi, it's probably the last time that um, Messi's assassin would play against him as well. Or well, no, no, play with him. Sorry, they play at PSG together. My bad. It was just cool to also see Sergio Ramos contribute because he was a big part of that. You know, Ronaldo Messi kind of like rivalry is you know 
Sergio Ramos is was pretty much put on this earth to be Ronaldo's assassin to Messi at you know his time in Real Madrid and Messi's time in Barcelona. So it was cool to see him score as well. Yeah, and also a couple of guys that played pretty well in Europe um, throughout their careers. Uh, Luis Gustavo played in this game for the Riyadh All-Stars, uh, another yes. guy that sold out to the Saudi League. Um, yeah, Taliska, who sold out yeah. pretty young to the Saudi League. He's he's killing it over there, and why wouldn't he be, as 28 years old, should be in a different league. But, yeah, and uh, yeah. Mateus Pereira. So a couple of guys that you know we all know. But, yeah, this – I'm so confused by the circumstances of this game. But it happened, and, of course, PSG won. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a good game in its right. weird circumstances. Yes. Let's talk – stake your claim now because I totally forgot we were going to talk about that game. I want to hear your stake your claim first. Okay, so mine, it was really hard to come up with mine this this week. You um, you know, it, it's hard to think of something so egregious that you believe in. It really is sometimes. But um, I'm, I'm going to go with this. Lamar Jackson, I don't think he's coming back to Baltimore, right? Well, I think he ends up with the Jets. That is my, that is my stake, your claim for this week. I, I think it is in the Jets' best interest to completely, with the team that they have now, sell out for a quarterback. I'm talking trade your first-round draft pick this year. Do whatever you can. It, don't give away any of like your core new young players and none of the rookies. Just see what you can get or see what you can give to Baltimore to end up with Lamar. Yeah, I could definitely see uh, a sign-and-trade being a possibility. Uh, it's a little bit more common in like the NBA to see a sign-and-trade, but... Yeah, I think that Lamar Jackson means a lot to the Ravens franchise and what they're doing right now. So if they're going to explore free agent opportunities and not exclusive tag him, then they'll probably go for a sign-in trade unless like some team just offers him a billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, I, I forgot that he was a free agent this year, so my bad. I'll correct myself. I don't think the Jets will trade for him because he is a free agent. And I, I just think it's in the Jets' best interest to seek out a quarterback like that. Maybe maybe not like systematically, but it would be cool to see if Lamar could fit into a different system and maybe throw the ball more. I, I know he, he's got a very talented arm, and he yeah. would have obviously better receivers to play with in New York, so who knows? I'm kind of hoping he goes to the Falcons. The Falcons would be awesome. Dude, too. think about that run game, dude. Yeah, uh, Tyler Algier, who's been – he has lit it up for y'all. He's been a very underrated rookie. That would be awesome. Cordero Patterson, too, would be crazy. Yeah, man. I, I, Lamar, if you're listening, we will welcome you with open arms in Atlanta because we need another Mike Vick-type quarterback down here. Yeah, or like, what if like Green Bay, too? If Aaron Rodgers leaves, Aaron mm -hmm. Jones, AJ Dillon. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know how that would work, just because of the coaching staff for the Packers. I think it's made for a pass-heavy offense. Yeah, which like Lamar, one hundred percent can play well in a pass-heavy offense because a lot of his rushing yards don't come from like designed runs. Of course, yeah. it comes from evading pressure, and that's what he's so elite at. But I, I think Matt LaFleur 
likes chucking the ball downfield and, you know, rarely giving the ball to his running backs. So I, I don't think he'd be a great fit. I, I do think, you know, wherever Lamar goes, he's going to play great. He's a great yeah. quarterback. Yep. I agree. What's what's your claim? Like, let's hear the egregious right. take. It's not egregious really whatsoever, uh, but okay. uh, I talked about it or I at least talked about this topic on uh, Wednesday's episode, the World Baseball Classic. I'm so excited for the World Baseball Classic. It was so much fun to watch. In the last one, I believe it was in like 2017, 2019. I don't quite remember. But it is so much fun to watch. And my claim is that the United States will go undefeated in the World Baseball Classic. Gotcha. So the World Baseball Classic, right, if I can just ask a question here, is like the World Cup of baseball, sort of? Yes. So um, there's four groups, uh, four pools, technically. There's Pool A, which uh, here, I'll just go ahead and, you know, make this the World Baseball Classic um, segment of the show. Segment. (laughs) Uh, Pool A is uh, Taiwan. They consider it Chinese Taipei, whatever. Um, Not getting into that. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Netherlands. Yeah. <laughs> not on this podcast you can go listen to like Infowars or whatever yeah. you get your political news from um, I'm calling it Taiwan uh, Netherlands, Cuba, Italy Panama, uh, Pool B Japan, Korea Australia, China and the Czech Republic Pool C USA, Mexico Colombia, Canada Great Britain and then Pool D Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Israel, and Nicaragua. Some of those countries have baseball teams? Sure do. That's interesting to me. Like, there, some of those teams have to be just completely ran over every game, right? Like, the Czech Republic can't be good at baseball, can they? So, the thing with baseball is that there's a ton of guys with dual citizenship and a ton of guys with, like, birthright citizenship. Okay. It's the same with soccer. We're like, yeah. like, the u.s team like half of them could play for a different country yeah and like how netherlands like all of their players could play for like an african country yeah but um like like the israeli team i talked about it on wednesday is so far with the confirmed players they're all uh born in america wow yeah like jock peterson is on that israeli team Uh, a couple other notable guys i think kevin pilar but, um, yeah, so go back to my USA is going to go undefeated. So, Pool C is easily the easiest pool outside of Pool A. Uh, whoever wins Pool A is most likely just going to lose to whoever wins Pool B. But, Pool C, USA, Mexico, Colombia, Canada, Great Britain, it's not a great group. Um, Mexico doesn't really have much outside of like Julio Urias and they they as much as like the Central American countries are very good at baseball Mexico does not seem to be one of those and then Colombia has a couple of good players I just don't think they have a complete enough team to compete uh, Canada is probably the biggest threat to this they've got a lot of great players but some of them do don't often play uh i don't know if freddie freeman's gonna play um and there's plenty of other guys i could talk about for canada that 
probably aren't going to play. And then for Great Britain, the only guy I can even think of that's on their roster is surprisingly Jazz Chisholm. Um, I can't ever remember if he's from Jamaica or Bahamas. Whichever one he's from, that's why he can play for Great Britain. I think it's the Bahamas. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I love Jazz. That, that's like one of my favorite non-Yankees. I think he's so cool. <laughs> yeah, he does just have swag. Yeah. He is yeah, a, I, I think that in that pool, they've got a great chance to go out unscathed, <clears throat> win against all those teams, win Pool C, and then most likely, because of how Pool D is set up, where it's very good, it, they're going to end up knocking off one of those top three teams between Puerto Rico, Venezuela, and Dominican Republic. I think it'll probably end up being Venezuela going out because Puerto Rico is stacked, especially when it comes to pitching compared to Venezuela. And we all know that the Dominican Republic is ridiculous in baseball. <laughs> yeah. So it'll end up being Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic, most likely out of Pool D. And so the U.S. will play the runner-up, who I think will be Puerto Rico. And I think that the U.S. team will just beat them when it comes to pitching matchups. That'll be the difference maker. And then... Um, the second place team in Pool C is probably Canada. Maybe I really don't even know who's gonna become or who's gonna come in second place. But the U.S. will be one, so they'll most likely match up with Puerto Rico, and then we'll they'll most likely have to play with the Dominican Republic. That will be their toughest game of the entire tournament, easily. But okay. you know we'll see. And then when it comes to into the semifinals, um, I got a feeling it'll be, um, uh, sorry. So it's weird how it's set up as well because there's the quarterfinal. So in the quarterfinals, the two teams that play the best in the quarterfinals, so like the two teams that win their matchup, move on, but the Runner-up of the quarterfinals on the Pool C and D side plays the winner of the quarterfinals on the A and B side. So they kind of cross over when it comes to the semifinals, which shakes everything up. And that's where I think the U.S. can capitalize because I think the runner-up in the quarterfinals one will end up being South Korea. So I think they can beat South Korea. The only player I can really even think of that'll be on that team is uh i want to say it's you darvish and also tommy edmund which is weird but um i could be wrong about you darvish he might play for japan uh it's kind of slipping my mind right now but there's a chance that the u.s matches up with south korea i think that's their best opportunity i think japan could knock off dominican republic especially if we beat them so this will draw in a ton of viewership into this championship. The U.S. versus Japan. Mike Trout versus Shohei Otani. And all these other fantastic players from these countries um, matching up in the championship. Obviously, you know, Dominican Republic versus the U.S. would pull in a ton of viewership as well. But when I'm talking international appeal, I think it does. And I think the U.S. can win it all. You Darvish would play in that um United States Japan game. 
Because he would he's Japanese. Okay. Maybe I was thinking yeah. of Ha Seong Kim, who's South Korean. Okay. Yeah. But um I know I had a couple of players that I had noted on Wednesday that were playing for South Korea. I just couldn't quite remember. But nonetheless, the US is gonna run the table, not lose a game to World Baseball Classic. I like it. I mean, <clears throat> we seem pretty stacked and like you said, with the way that the kind of algorithm of the tournament itself will work out it sounds like u.s could probably go undefeated i like that take yeah because look there's a chance that the u.s doesn't have to play the dominican republic until the championship so it, it does bode well for them and um yeah i just this u.s roster is stacked i don't know if you've looked at it yet but it is ridiculous i, I can only imagine i mean it's kind of like um going into like Olympic basketball, like you don't necessarily have to look at the United States national team to know that they're stacked in basketball. Yeah, exactly. The Olympics and world tournaments and stuff like that is we're we're always going to be loaded. So I can only imagine what our team looks like. I'm sure it's just ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. I'm glad we could do a little lesson on the world baseball classic. We've got about a month till that starts, but anything else you got to give to the people, Luke? Um, nothing, but go get you some Brooks set it at the beginning of the podcast. I'm going to mention it at the end because it's just simply that important. I'm trying to take care of your feet. Listen, I'm not a foot doctor, but I know a thing or two. Okay. Brooks. That's where it's at. That's what you need to be in. Yeah. Get you some glycerins. Walk on those high or er, nitrogen infused soles. Yeah. First time they've ever done it. And I can say that it's probably one of the best cushions on the market. It's it's sick, guys. Go, That's go get stake your claim. Stake your claim. Yeah. Nitrogen infused soles on the glycerin twenties, the best cushion on the market. Yeah. Better than it's better than the better than anything will ever do. Go get you some brooks. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for us. We will catch y'all on Wednesday. Peace. Peace.